0: And that's the lesson, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. But now, before we get there, we got Exodus 11 to get through, and I do believe that God has something for us here in this chapter, down around verse 7. Now, we'll take the time to read. The whole chapter is only 10 verses, and uh, uh, it'll be a blessing to your heart. And I, I'm enjoying coming through the Old Testament and coming through Exodus. We're learning so much about God. And we're learning so much about how God has had His children worship in time past. I believe one of the great problems of today is most people, Christians, I'll I'll pick on Christians, don't know anything about the God of the Bible. They don't know anything about it. They, they, They don't know how He wants us to worship, when He wants us to worship, what He wants us to do. And these things are laid out here in the Old Testament. He say, well, I just don't like that Old Testament. Well, if you get into the New Testament, you're going to get a lot of the Old Testaments. They go together. All right, verse 1, he says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh. Now, Moses is still before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh told him, Don't you see my face no more. Don't come back in. If you come back in, I'll have you killed. And so the Lord begins to speak with Moses before he goes out. And he says, He will let you go hence when he shall let you go. He shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. Speak now in the ears of the people and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord about midnight, Will I go out in the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beast. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. Now here's my verse and where my text comes. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know, this is my phrase, how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. That's my text. The Lord puts a difference there. And all these thy servants shall come down unto me and bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get out, and all the people that follow thee, and after that I'll let you go. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. Yeah, it's all right for the man of God to get angry. I've, I've heard people, you know, in years gone by, Well, the pastor, the preacher should never get angry. Well, the Bible commands us, Be angry and sin not. The problem is, what are you angry at? Now, if you're angry because you didn't get a filled jelly donut versus a plain donut, that's a problem. And you could see me, I'm the type of person that probably get upset about something like that. If I'm going to get upset, it's more than likely going to be over food. <laughs> Just ask Jen. I eat at 12. <laughs> and y'all should love having a fat pastor because you know he ain't going to preach too long. You hang around him. And if you're ever on a on a trip or vacation or you go out with me, you know I ain't going too far and too long without eating. You're like, yeah, this we're good. We got this. Yeah, Amen. But it's alright to get angry at the things that God get angry at. Sin and, 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 and filthiness and wickedness. It's good to get angry at that. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of this land. Now let's pray. And we also want to ask prayer for Sister Mary Wilson. She's a little under the weather this morning. So don't forget her uh, on your little prayer list, all right? And we also want to welcome our visitors and guests. And so you make them feel welcome this morning. Our gracious Father, we come. We thank you now. Lord, help us today as we study the Word of God. We look at it. Let the Holy Spirit speak through me. Anoint my lips. Lord, uh, let nothing false be uh, come from these lips, but things that can edify the body of Christ. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Let me give you a quote by Charles Spurgeon on this subject, on God doth put... A difference, and and another, uh, again, another one of the problems. We could sit here all day long and talk about problems in Christianity today. I'll try not to do that, but every once in a while you got to call this stuff out uh, uh, because it's not right. Uh, God puts a difference. That word "put" that's action. That means God's laying a line to it. God is making a separation point. And what I see today is people running around trying to broom off the lines that God has put down to have a difference between God's children and the devil's children. There's only two types of children. There's two families on this earth. God's family, God's children, and the devil's children. That's why we got such division in this world. That's why we got such problems and chaos and vice is you got two different kingdoms fighting against each other. You got the kingdom of God, God's children, and then you got the devil's kingdom, Colossians 1 verse 13. Let me give you this quote. He said, why should this difference be seen? Put your finger on any prosperous page in the church's history, and I will find a little marginal note reading thus. In this age, men could readily see where the church began and where the world ended. Never were there good times when the church and the world were joined in marriage with one another. But though this were sufficient argument for keeping the church and the world distinct... There are many others. The more the church is distinct from the world in her acts and in her maxims, the more true is her testimony for Christ. And the more potent is her witness against sin. We are sent into this world to testify against evils. But if we dabble in them ourselves, where is our testimony? If we ourselves be found faulty... We are false witnesses. We are not sent of God. Our testimony is of none effect. C.H. Spurgeon. I believe he hit the nail on the head. And as I see this thing uh, wrapping up, we're getting ever closer to the catching away of the saints. I see too many of so-called Christians trying to blend the world uh, and Christianity together. And what's going on is they're falling for the compromise uh, of the devil. I mean, if you want to see a rock and roll concert, then go to one. But you should not uh, get a rock and roll concert in your church uh, Thank you very much. There shouldn't be laser lights, smokes and mirrors, and the Wizard of Oz in behind the the tent there, and a bunch of flesh being paraded around, and it looks like you're in Las Vegas, you know, dinner and a show with the dancing girls. That's what we've turned the church into. You say, well, I just kind of like that modern worship, contemporary service. Well, I don't, and neither does God. It makes him sick. Now, as we've been preaching our way through Exodus, we've seen that there's been four compromises added or given or offered to Moses and the children of Israel. We found, if we was to go back to Exodus chapter 8, about verse 25, uh, Pharaoh says this uh, to Moses, Serve God, but serve Him without separating from the foolishness of Egypt." He says, you can serve God, but serve God in the land. And when that compromise was given and offered to Moses, Moses said, nothing doing. God's pretty clear on us. He wants us to leave Egypt and go into the wilderness to worship Him. He says because how we worship is an abomination to you. And how you're worshiping is an abomination to us. And he says, we don't want that. We need the division. We need the separation. The foolishness of the world is worldliness. I can't believe we promote so much worldliness in our churches today. Wickedness and wantonness, which means no restraint or control in our lives. Let me get this thing. I'm all, I feel bound up this morning. I'm I'm wanting to loosen up, come out of this thing. All right. There, I'll get back into this. Now, compromise number two. We would find that in Exodus 8, verse 28, where, where Pharaoh says, Now look, just serve God, but serve God without saying farewell to Egypt. Now, here's what Pharaoh was counting on he knew what was in the wilderness. He knew they wouldn't get two or three days out there. They'd have to come across the Red Sea. He knew that if they got out in the wilderness, uh, that there, there wouldn't be no water there. And the water that was there was going to be bitter, Mara. And he knew that there wouldn't be no food out there. Hence, God had to feed them with manna. And so he was banking on the fact that if they just didn't go out too far, that the first time they had a need, they'd come running back to Egypt. That was the compromise. Hence, you see people that start out well in their Christian life, and they, they get saved, and they separate, and they say, yeah, those things I used to do used to make me sick. You know, uh, it it tasted like vomit and I don't want to do it. And a year later, there they are doing it. And the Bible says they're just like dogs that return to their vomit. And you say, what causes that? They didn't say farewell to Egypt. That's why. They didn't say farewell to the world. If you was to get to Exodus chapter 10, verse 10, here's the third compromise. We preached a little bit and made mention of this last week. Pharaoh tells Moses, he said, now serve God. But he says, serve God without submitting your family. And he said, serve God, your men, your men can go. But leave your family and your kids here in Egypt. Now, if I've heard this once in my lifetime, I bet you I've heard it a hundred times. Some person will begin to complain, so well, my daddy and my mommy drugged me to church, and they made me go. And they're such wicked, evil people, and I just hate that. And I'm not going to do that to my kids. Really, well, you make them go to school, don't you? you? I mean, you drag them out of bed, and you clean them up, and you make them go to school, don't you? I mean, you make them do their homework, don't you? You make them do their chores, don't you? Why is that all okay until it comes time to come to God and to worship God and all of a sudden you're buying in to what old Pharaoh, who's the type of the devil, says, Daddy can go, Mommy can go, but I'm not dragging my kids to church. You better drag your kids to church. I've not seen a kid yet that always wanted to do the right thing all the time. I mean, if you, put, if you put broccoli and green beans on a plate and you put a nice cake on another plate and tell them they can pick whichever one they want, they'll go for the cake every time. I mean, if you let them eat candy and crackers and Snicker bars, then they'll make a meal out of it because they don't want to eat a well-balanced diet. You kind of got to drag them into that. You say, Why? Because they've not developed or matured enough in their mind to know that they do need some veggies. And some of us do develop a little later in life. I'm 52 and I'd still take the cake. (laughs) Now I eat veggies later, you know, kind of like a... You got appetizers that warm you up for the meal. I kind of like the warm downs. You know, I'll eat a couple pieces of broccoli after the cake good. It's like last night. Had some chips, you know, ruffles, plain, you know, a little dip. And then to ease my conscience, I got the veggie tray out. So I had some broccoli and I had some cauliflower and I had some carrots. I'm, I'm amazed. I'll never overeat veggies. Never. I never have seconds on salad never (laughs) would you put pizza in front of me and i'll eat till she's gone now what is that well it's, undisciplined. it's It's lustful nature of man is what it is. Uh, but the point is, I've heard this all my life. Well, I don't want to drag my kids because I was drugged to church and I just didn't think that was right. You were drugged to school too. You were drugged to the babysitters too. You were drugged to the grocery store and you didn't want to go. And you were drugged off the playground when you didn't want to leave either. People, crack me up. And then the fourth compromise we would find in Exodus 10, verse 24, okay, serve God, take your kids, but leave your stuff. Remember? That was one of the points I made last week. The devil, <laughs> he'll let you serve God just as long as you leave your stuff in Egypt. And, and, and that was a picture and a type of being so financially bound down That every dime you have goes to the things of the world and, and whatever the devil's got you doing, but you don't have 10 cents to put in or the offering for God, which is part of real worship. I didn't know if you all knew that or not. Worship isn't about watching entertainment. Worship, the way God uses it, is action. That's you are doing some performing. You are presenting Christ and God is the audience. And I got news for you. God doesn't want a rock and roll concert. He doesn't like that. So God here in this verse, God puts a difference. There's a difference. And God said he put a difference there. And we have no business Trying to go out there because we want to be apologetic and we want to have this fake piety that, oh yeah, you know, we really, we're not trying to be different. We're trying to make our church more comfortable for the world. I'm not. Well, what are you going to do, preacher? Then people won't come in and hear you. Then we'll go out and we'll tell them about Jesus. And they can hear about Jesus. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. If they want what the world's got and Pharaoh's got, they can go out there. But here, it's for the children of God. It's the camp of God. And God said, I put a difference. And here, he says, I'm putting a difference. I'm drawing a line. And this line was in the land of Goshes. I'm drawing a line. And I'm putting the difference between Egypt and Israel. We have no business erasing the lines of distinction. God says, be not unequally yoked together. He says, look, uh, (laughs) the the, the person that believes in God and trusts in God has no business fellowshipping with an infidel. They can't worship together. One's praying to an idol, the other one to the true God. So you know what, what man does to try to keep the church numbers up? Let's take the name Jesus out of all our songs and incorporate it with third person pronouns. So everybody can worship the God of their choice as we say, I love him. Kumbaya, I love him. And so everybody can can worship their God in their mind. Not here. Not in the Bible. It's not like that. See, where are they getting that? Somebody's been spending too much time listening to those seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and they've been buying into the compromise that the devil will offer you. So you say, Preacher, what's the difference? Well, first off, I think the difference is in our position. Our difference is in our standing. The Bible says this about the nation of Israel, Deuteronomy 7, 6, it says, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. That verse says a whole lot about God's people. Number one, the people of God are a special people. God chose them to represent Him on the earth. That's what He was doing. We see here in Exodus, we see justification. Then we're seeing sanctification where God begins to draw the lines of distinction and to separate His people from the world because they're going to represent Him. The people of God are special that God chose them to represent Him in Their crises. I don't know about you, but the next time you go through a trial in life, and I'm not talking about one of your own making. I'm talking about a trial. I'm talking about some affliction, maybe some persecution because people just know that you're a Christian. You remember this, and you don't buy into what the devil is trying to fill your mind with, that it's not worth it. God has chosen you to represent Him in that trial. Kind of changes the perspective on that now, don't it? The next trial, the next affliction, the next problem, whether it be a health scare, maybe cancer, uh, maybe a death of a loved one, I, I don't know what it may be. But you remember this, God has chosen you to represent Him in that trial. We're a chosen people, special people, the people of God. They're an exalted people. God exalts His people. Deuteronomy 32, 7 says, "'Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations.'" Ask thy father and he will show thee thy elders and they will tell thee. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, yes, God believes in borders. It's all through the Bible and boundaries. When he separated the sons of Adam, why do you think there's a big problem today in the land of Israel? God believes in borders. It's biblical. So I don't know if I like your preaching. Well... You know, it's biblical. Show me where it's different in the Word of God. You won't find it. And the Bible says this, For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. God doth put a difference between the devil's children and God's children. I also believe that applies to the believer, to you and I. You said, well, yeah, you're preaching doctrinally about the nation of Israel. And by the way, God's not done with Israel. Uh, God, Israel is still God's chosen people. That's the people that God chose. Uh, You say, well, I just don't like that, how God would do that. Well, you'll have to take that up with Him. I'm telling you, it's what His Word says. But He also has another people. And He says this in 1 Peter 2, 9, talking to us believers today. He says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, A peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people. That's right. Israel was back in those days. They still are, but now God has broken down the middle wall of partition, Ephesians chapter 2, and has allowed the Gentiles access to Christ through the blood of the Lamb. He says, but are now the people of God, which hath not obtained mercy, but now have attained mercy. God has chosen us, according to John 15, verse 19. He says, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. That's an important verse, because a person cannot get saved unless God calls them. You say, oh, okay, whoa, 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 what are you trying to say? I'm saying, if you're never been convicted you'll never be converted is what i'm saying. And this bible says that he calls every man, but not every man answers. But he has chosen us. God has exalted us according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. And today God wants us, the church, to represent him, to continue his ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5:17. And to represent Him and our trials and sufferings. You try that the next time. Everything goes wrong. You've been reading your Bible. You've been praying every day. You've been coming to church. But it just seems like the wheels fall off. You remember. You know what? I am saved. I know that preacher. Well then if God's not chasing you. This trial that you're going through is an opportunity, and God has chosen you to represent Him. Say, what are you saying? I'm saying that'll help you keep your composure. And you, in your crisis, remember, I've been on this crisis, how to deal with a crisis in your life. And as we're preaching our way, and we've, we've not to a good crisis yet, once we get to the Red Sea, we'll begin to get these. I think there's five principles down. Five principles to deal with your crises. Number one, thank God for the crisis. You say, why would I do that? Because God's in control. Nothing happens to you unless He's given the nod. Well why would God want to do something bad to me? Uh, Whoa, 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 back up. Who said it's bad? You can't see the future. You can't see the future. You don't know what the future holds. God does. And sometimes we think something that's bad for us and that's bad that's happened to us is actually good in light of what was getting ready to happen right down the road. So thank God for the crisis. Number two, look for a way to make God look good in the crisis. That's called elegance. Maintain your composure. Pray fervently is the third one. The fourth one is wait patiently on the Lord to deliver. And then, fifth, take the next step of faith to keep moving forward for God. We'll see that play out. In the book of Exodus, that's five principles to help you manage your storms. I'm going to tell you, it'll take you now, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing you a little bit to take your spiritual life to another level because that totally changes the dynamics of how you view problems when they come into your life. God has chosen us to represent Him. I mean, after all, if Christ suffered, we're not better than Jesus. And He says, if, if, if I've suffered and the world's hated me, the world will hate you and you will suffer. Just read St. John 15 and He'll fill you in on that. So we're different in our position that we are God's chosen people. But we're different in our purity. Being the people of God denotes purity. God does not demand a beautiful vessel for his work. (laughs) Aren't you glad? (laughs) Yeah, you don't have to be beautiful to be used by God. But God does desire a clean one. I mean, if you come to my house and I offer you something to drink, if you like coffee, I like coffee. The cups might be a little old. They might have some chips in them, but they'll be clean. And that really doesn't bother people just as long as when they look in there, it's clean. Well, God's no different. God doesn't demand beautiful vessels to use. We're all fearfully and wonderfully made. God's made us the way we look. Some of us has made us ourselves the way we look, but well, that's another message for somewhere else. I'm trying to stay on the, on the bright side. But God does desire a clean vessel. 1 Peter says this in 1.15, he says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That's how you live your life. Good old-fashioned Holiness. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Being the people of God develops purity. The deeper, now you hear me because this is how you're going to accomplish this. The deeper that we go into the purifying word of God, the more evident effect it will have upon our lives. Christians aren't holy today because they're not in the book today. We've got everything else going on but no good old-fashioned Bible preaching and teaching. And we're not reading it in, in our daily lives. We're not studying it on our own. We're not doing any praying. And hence the effect of that is there's no holiness. And God said, I've put a difference between the devil's people and God's people. And one of those differences is purity. One more. God put a difference in our purpose. Our purpose is different than the world's. Our purpose is different than the devil's. And and, and I hope that you've seen in those four compromises that the devil offers, he's okay if you serve God a little. Just not all the way. The devil will let you serve God a little as long as he's still got a hold on you. And God says, No, I've separated it. You've got to come out of Egypt, you've got to come out of the world. You've got to get into my word, and God's going to give them his law, which is his word, to sanctify them. I mean, chapter 13 says up. He tells Moses, the man of God, the pastor, up, sanctify the people. They were a wicked mess for having spent 450 years in Egypt. They needed some sanctifying. But we're different in our purpose. Our purpose is to love God with all of our body, our soul, and our spirit. I mean, that's the first and great commandment, remember? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, and with all thy soul. And the second great commandment is like to the first one. Love thy neighbor as thyself. So we're different in our purpose, whereas the devil's children, their purpose is in the last days, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. That's what the devil promotes, self-love. You've probably heard preachers, not God's preachers, the devil's preachers promoting that doctrine. Well, you can't love your neighbor until you love yourself. Well, that's funny. The last time I, I tried to love myself first, there wasn't no love left over for anybody else. I've heard these, these people say, well, you, the Bible commands us to love our spouses, us men. We're supposed to love our wives like our own body. Now, if I follow that philosophy, the devil's philosophy, well, you can't love your wife like yourself until you love yourself first. You've got to love yourself. Well, there wouldn't be nothing left. That's not how God says to do it. You want to have joy, you put Jesus first, others second, yourself last. See how the devil wants to twist things? And the devil has a different purpose than God's people. The devil's purpose is they're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. You say, what's that mean? That means when they get up on a Sunday morning, if anything goes wrong, if there's anything on TV that's remotely interesting to watch anything that might bring them some pleasure that's what they're going to do they won't darken the church door that's the devil's children that's what they do but our purpose is to love the lord our god our purpose is to obey god's commandments the lord said if you love me keep my commandments that's our purpose Our purpose is different that we worship God. The devil's children, they worship, but they don't worship God. Our purpose is different because we honor God in our giving. That's why Moses was not going to let the children of Israel leave without their stuff. Because he tells you over there in chapter 10, he says, we don't know what God's going to use out of our stuff yet. Yeah, amen. And I made that point. God wants your stuff. So I knew you'd get around to that. You're one of those kind of preachers. No, I'm just telling you how God's always laid it out. You can't worship God without giving God a gift. I mean, you don't go to a birthday party without bringing a gift, don't you? Aren't we celebrating Christ? Ain't this about the Lord? Aren't we worshiping God? See, our purpose is different. Our purpose is different because we're to tell others about Christ and the goodness of God. We do serve a good God. You say, well, he's pretty narrow. You'll find in life that anything that is ever successful has structure. It has order. Chaos is never successful. Anarchy never ends well. We serve a good God, we serve the one true God, and Jehovah judges. These ten false gods down in Egypt proving to Pharaoh beyond a reasonable shadow of a doubt there wasn't even a reasonable doubt that he was the one true God. Yet Pharaoh said even in light of the science you're all familiar with that term I'm not changing my ideology. Yeah there's more to do with the devil in all that. God believes in truth and evidence and god proved himself to be the one true god pharaoh kept rejecting and the more god kept trying to work with him the harder his heart got he said well he said that god hardened it i know god hardened it by trying to get him to repent you know how it is you've had an altercation with somebody before haven't you and the more you tried to work it out, the matter they got. And the more you tried to do the right thing, the more they wanted to do the wrong thing to the point where you just had to part ways. And the whole time, you were hardening their heart. How come we can't get a grip on that? Oh, God's being a meanie. God's not a meanie. He wanted Pharaoh to repent, but Pharaoh wouldn't. And the more God worked to try to get him to repent, Pharaoh took it and hardened his heart and said, I won't do it. I will not. Well, I got news for you. Don't stay in disagreement with God. It's not going to end well. It's not going to end well for Pharaoh. But that is the purpose. That is the difference. What is this difference? Well, we're different in our position. We got a home in heaven. We're going to live forever in heaven in the presence of God. We're different in the fact that God wants us to have some purity, some holiness about us. The wor- I'm, I'm about done. I, I'm, I really am out of notes, but I need to say this. I mean, how do we identify a police officer? By how he looks. How do we identify a fireman? I had a fire once in a home called the fire department. There was other people that stopped, and I was nice and courteous to them. But buddy, when the firemen showed up, that was who I was looking for. And I could tell who they were because they come running up in a red truck and they all had uniforms on. How's the world supposed to know anything or learn anything about God when all of God's people don't have any purity about them? I just figured I'd throw that in there free. You think about that. The world should be able to look at you and see that you're a peculiar person. That you're a child of the king. And we're different in the fact that we have a different purpose. We're to love God, we're to serve God, we're to worship God, and we're to tell others about Jesus. Let's stand this morning. I need a song of imitation, please. Heads bowed, eyes closed.